My name is Troy Fisher, and I'm the Senior General Manager at Bridgewater Commons in Bridgewater, New Jersey. And what I love about retail is it's basically the economic engine marketplace where all transactions, the community at large, as well as distributors get to interact with each other and move the economy along. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. So, hi, I'm Rob Sanchez, one of the hosts on Retail is Your Business. And Troy, it's really a pleasure to have you here with us. And I'd like to just dive right in by having you talk a little bit about your role at Bridgewater Commons and what it is that you're working on on a day-to-day basis. Well, as my role at Senior General Manager at at the, it's a large super regional shopping center. It's basically what I'm working on most recently over the last 12 months is obviously working with our tenants, working with our customers, working with our vendors to figure out how to proceed on a day-to-day, month-to-month, ever-changing requirements in regarding to COVID. It's been impactful on a variety of fronts, not just from a, a closure standpoint, you know, early on in the pandemic, but everything from reopening to coordinating those reopenings to getting access to product. A lot of our retailers are having, you know, restrictive, you know, they can only get their hands on so much product and in some cases can't get their hands on product at all. And then staffing issues. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the stores are are trying to ramp back up to full operation, um, but they're having difficulty getting staff for a variety of reasons. Everything from, people needing to stay home for their kids being on virtual school or just a variety of things, you know, maybe a redirection of of what they're doing career-wise or whatever the case may be. It's been a a big challenge over the last 12 to 18 months to navigate through that. Yeah, I definitely understand that. I'd like to rewind a little bit before the pandemic and talk about what you were seeing in the property and in the market. And then let's talk a little bit about how the pandemic has impacted that because I know we were in a transitional time before we even hit COVID, and then you know that obviously has completely changed the game. What were you seeing as as general trends in your industry and trends in retail itself as it relates to properties and and usage before the pandemic? There's a number of retailers that were trying to figure out exactly how to do the multi-channel thing, right? I mean, from like 2018, 2019. Even into the pandemic, which basically accelerated some demise of of retailers, they were really struggling to figure out how to do their brick and mortar platform integrated with their digital platform. Give me an example. You know, Walmart, one of the largest retailers, if not the largest retailer in the world, basically invested over the, about three years prior to 2019. We're investing about a billion dollars a year in upgrading their platform, not necessarily doing anything different to their brick and mortar, but upgrading their digital platform so that they could be more in tune real time and they could coordinate product and get the product connected with the consumer from their brick and mortar locations as well as shipping. You know, for the smaller retailers that are located in in shopping centers and mom and pops and stuff like that, it's really become a, a necessity, but it's also an expensive necessity of trying to coordinate that digital integration in real time with the brick and mortar experience. I'll give you another example. You know, probably the last five years, 
Lowe's and Home Depot have really brought on the scene their real-time inventory, right? You can go to a specific store, you can look up a product, and you can see if it's in stock or if there's 30 of them or 20 of them or whatever. That's becoming the expectation for it doesn't really matter what shop you're in. It doesn't matter if you're in a retail shop for clothing or if you're in a retail shop for jewelry. Before you head out, you want to know that the product's available at the facility. With COVID, you said it accelerated a little bit, but has that focus shifted at all or is it more like the same, just faster? It shifted a little bit, I think, but it's really basically just accelerated what was retailers who weren't making core investment or really weren't making that a focus of their future plans. COVID just basically accelerated their faults. You think about it, you know, probably for the first four to six months, starting in March of last year, really the only outside of a few retailers, larger retailers that were able to operate, pretty much everybody else could only operate from a digital platform. So if you hadn't invested money and invested the integration time with your brick and mortar platform and your inventory, you were kind of left out in the cold, basically doing zero in sales. I mean, not that the pandemic was great for anyone just doing you know digital platforms, but uh, it was basically absolutely zero if you had if you had a slow or a, a platform that couldn't handle the traffic that that needed to take place when when everything was shut down, basically. Did you see any shifts in usage of your facilities during that time? Did you become like a distribution center or anything like that? Or what was the experience on the ground? I would say in May, June, and July, we were able to reopen at the right at the end of June. May, June, and July, you saw most of the stores, you know, using their existing inventory or trying to clear out their existing inventory especially because it was winter inventory from winter of 2019, 2020, they were trying to clear out their winter inventory to actually project into some summer or fall inventory when, when they were able to reopen. But it really became, certainly in those first, like I said, May, June, specifically even parts of July, it became much more of a distribution center for those particular stores. When we reopened, it was a slow ramp-up period, I would say probably a, a month to a month and a half before you saw people really being comfortable being in a, a large building, which I found a little bit strange because I would go to Home Depot or Lowe's on the weekend, and those places were packed. So I was kind of, I'm like, well, that's strange. You know, people seem to be a little bit reluctant to come back to a large shopping center, but... Yeah, but, that uh, has to do a little bit with that need to like make your house yeah. not your house, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think, more fence I think, building. Uh, and... Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I think it's a little bit of that. I do think, you know, we started seeing a lot of people. They just want to get out. I mean, one of the things that has been a focus a little bit before the pandemic, and it certainly has accelerated it now, is it's too easy, you know, for the digital platforms to be transactional related. I mean, they can't really be much more than tr transactional related. You go on, you find a product, you buy it. For the brick and mortar locations, whether it be Home Depot, Lowe's, shopping centers, whatever retail you want, the experience has got to be more than just a transaction. It's got to be more than just a transaction and it's got to be more than based on price. That's just become crystal clear 
moving forward. Now, that can take on a, a several different forms, but we cannot be focused on price. We cannot be focused on just simply providing a certain product at a certain price. It's just, it's got to be more than that. And I think the pandemic really gave shopping centers an opportunity to refocus on that because that's what it used to be. And now it's, you know, we got into a little bit of the price wars, if you will, with some of the, the retailers that often rent space. And it, it's got to be, we've got to provide more of an experience. And with the pandemic, you see people now, I mean, we're not made as humans and certainly not as Americans to be isolated inside of four walls and doing your shopping, doing your education, doing your work from the same location. We're social creatures. We're, we like to be around each other. We like to be out and about. And that's really kind of what we're looking for into the future is how do we continue to build on those experiences, even giving the people that what they want is that they do not want to be isolated in their homes, simply clicking on a computer, either doing their work or doing their shopping. Does that play out as a, a, a different approach to how you're using space inside of the the center? Or is it like uh, focus on different people that you're hiring. How do you think that that experience level is going to play out from like an actual boots on the ground? That's an interesting question. I will talk about it from the kind of the landlord perspective first, you know, the developer perspective, and then move into kind of, I think the retailers have, depending on the retailer, depending on what they're selling, you're going to see a little bit of a resurgence back to, instead of just hiring you know, somebody that can punch the cash register kind of thing at the store level, you're going to see a more sophisticated hiring, a more sophisticated training to make sure that those people can provide that experience, provide the product knowledge, provide the salesmanship, if you will, to move the product and provide that customer with the best level of customer service and those kinds of things. From a developer standpoint, it's really looking at different uses, expanding the uses, lowering your amount of retail because i mean obviously clothing can be bought a number of ways in a number of different places and things like that so it's it's really a focus to do kind of to your point it's really using space a little bit differently everything from pop-up selfie experiences to food and beverage to look at dick sporting goods they're starting out with testing new concepts and where you can go in it's the old sports store where you got golf simulators and batting cages and you can try the product before you invest the money into it so all those kinds of things are going to become more and more experiential you know, and some of them are going to be huge and some of them are going to be smaller. The other thing that's really critical, you know, as I mentioned before about the technology side of it, stores really got to get into embracing the technology, even if they don't do it from a website perspective, they've got to do it to manage their inventory. I mean, the days of having a 6,000 square foot store when you only have a 4,000 square foot sales area and having a bunch of merchandise in there and hoping that it can move before you have to buy the next cycle of merchandise, that's gone. The more sophisticated retailers are using real-time technology in moving product and automatically ordering product and making sure that they don't have to devote as much of their facility to warehousing, if you will, and they can simply move it from store to store. If it's not selling in one store, they can move it to another area of the country or the area of the state or to move the product, embracing the technology just from the back of house standpoint 
is absolutely critical for the retailers going forward. Absolutely critical. Yeah. As a property owner and a developer, how does that impact you? I mean, that's a different shipping pattern. It's a different loading and unloading of goods. Have you had to look at redesigning shipping facilities to handle more volume and lower size of loads or anything along those lines? Not yet, but it, it is something that we've thought about and contemplated. Even in some of our our leases now, you know, that's even becoming a point of discussion in terms of we want to accept deliveries during this time, or we want to ship out product during this time, or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's certainly out there to be discussed exactly how that's redesigned or what that's what that changes in the future. Not sure yet, but it's definitely something that has to be considered. You know, the days of having a truck dock that operates 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday is probably not the way it's going to evolve in the future. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not, actually. And what about as more experiences come in, does that impact zoning and usage terms instead of leases and so on? Like, is that a wholesale rethinking or is it kind of flexible within the existing? It kind of varies a little bit. It depends on what the use is. It also depends on you know what you're needing to do. If Going back to your example about like truck docks, I mean, does the retailer or use coming in need a dedicated truck bay? Well, that means we may have to expand the truck dock or do something with it. So we haven't encountered a lot of that yet. But there is potential for that, depending on what you do with the uses or how it changes. There's going to be some things that need to be changed. The leases, in terms of a lot of the older leases, relied on certain anchors and things like that, you know, certain department stores primarily. And that's been a big shift, you know, everything from not naming anchors per se by name expanding the definition of what qualifies as an anchor. Does uh, a large movie theater, 30-screen movie theater, qualify as an anchor? Uh, obviously, for the evolution of retail, bottom line is it's going to, it needs to, and it should in the future, you know, large bowling alley, large arcade, you know, a Dave and Buster's kind of thing. You know, all those things have got to be looked at as, as core components going forward for the shopping centers that are going to thrive and survive in the, the new decade, if you will. Yeah. You'd mentioned the price wars. Um, is there anything now that you're excited about now that you're out of that sort of like that uh, trenches and battle mode and now it's back to what the original purpose of a shopping mall was? Yeah. I, you know, we're, we're doing some things. We're doing some things more atmospheric wise. Uh, we've, we've added some, uh, some greenery to the center. Uh, we're changing some seating. We're doing some murals and some art things. And on the surface, that's, that's kind of small not direct, but it's it's getting back into being more than a transaction, being, you know, providing something, even if it's just something that you can walk by and take a selfie in front of it because it's a new mural or whatever. It, just something, little add-ons that add to your experience that you, you certainly can't get just by simply ordering something. Some other things that we're looking at is getting back into customer service and having concierge and stuff like that to answer people's questions or help them find product or help them find product in the store and and things like that. You know, the bottom line is if we can connect the customer with, with the product and the retailers that offer it quicker and better, the bottom line is, is when you, when you order things online, best you're going to do is get them 
even if you do same day delivery, the best you're going to do is get them in eight to 12 hours, right? That's the best case scenario that you're going to get. If we can do that here and find the product here, most of our clientele lives within 20 to 25 minutes. Talk with somebody, chat with somebody online, buy a product online. Let's say that process takes 30 minutes, hop in your car, 20 minutes later, you're here at the center, five minutes to walk into the store, make the transaction, pick it up, leave, go back to your house. So basically within about an hour and a half or less, you've found a product, bought the product, picked it up, and you have it at your home to use or wear or whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, the digital platforms are never going to be able to compete with that, but we've got to up our game. We can't rely on somebody else to do it for us, and we can't sit back and just be quiet about it. We need to do everything we can to provide those additional experiences, as well as helping connect the customers with the retailers that have those products that they're looking for or have those experiences that they're looking for. For a center like yours that pulls super regional, what is there any difference in how that looks? Like you might be a destination where people are traveling from over an hour away. How does that kind of play into this or does it at all? It does in the sense that if they're going to invest that time to drive there, you need to meet their expectations when they get here, right? So whatever you're sending out there as a offering or an opportunity that's prompting their their reason to come here or drive an hour, like like you said, it needs to be worth their time, right? You need to meet their expectations, whether it be in your offerings, in your food and beverage, in your ancillary experiences that you're offering. It needs to meet reasonably meet their needs. Obviously, you're not going to necessarily meet everybody's expectations to the highest standards, but you got to reasonably add value to that time that they're taking out of their day. Exactly how that will define itself in the future, I think everybody's kind of researching that. Everybody's kind of thinking about that, or they should be. Whether we're still doing some strategic review and market evaluations to see what those things need to be. It's a discussion that has got to take place. And, and like I said, the pandemic just kind of accelerated that, accelerated, exposed some of those things that were shortcomings in the process that need to be done. You know, the, the only challenge to that is, is that going back to your comment about zoning and construction and all that stuff, real estate doesn't turn on a dime, right? It takes some time to figure out what the new direction should be and test some things, and then make a commitment to what that's going to look like in the future. So we feel that we're kind of on the front end of that. We've invested some money and some time during the pandemic to try to analyze that a little bit, but we still got some decisions to make and some plans to look at as far as what you know what that looks like long-term and what we need to do from a construction standpoint, zoning, all those kinds of things to, to make it work. There's two trends that I want to get your thoughts on. One is the the rise of medical retail, and then the other one is looking at what um, what Saks just did, partnering with WeWork, where they're putting co-working inside of Saks locations. I'm wondering if you're looking at either of those trends as ways to draw people in and get bodies on site, or if you think that there's sort of like a either a, a mistake in doing that or what's kind of in your head around those shifting uses? The WeWork one is is the easiest one to discuss. I think that's been a discussion for a while across retail. I mean, you see centers that have went to mixed use type of arrangements or added office buildings to their property. 
you know, the the new thing of uh, you've even seen some of the the newer shopping centers. Uh, I can think of one right off the top of my head, Sono up in South Norwalk, up in Connecticut. They actually set up. It's not really a quasi workstation, but they've set up tables and charging stations and things like that where they put carpet in the center so it's not echoey and things like that. So they really kind of set up either places for people to relax, just kind of be on social media and do kind of do things like that or kind of work informally kind of thing. Definitely it's a consideration whenever you're relooking at a property or really use of a property, more space to look at a, a shared, like a co-working station, like a WeWorks or something like that, it does. It, and kind of even going back to the other example that you were talking about, basically anything, that's the whole idea of mixed use, right? Is to bring kind of a collection of uses together where everybody can kind of live, work, and play, right? I mean, they can do kind of do a little bit of everything with one trip rather than making a trip to the mall a trip to their doctor's office, a trip to the grocery store, the more that you can make it easier and convenient, especially with the rise of two-income families, the schedules getting compressed, and just the speed of life in general, it's got you know anything that you can make it easier and bring gyms becoming a big thing at shopping centers, uh, not just open air, but also um, even office buildings, office parks. Anything that you can kind of add on, the office buildings are doing it because they want to add on services to make it more valuable to lease space in their buildings and bring workers in and retain staff, right? Same kind of thing for a shopping center. They have the entertainment facilities or the retail facilities, and they need some of that support mechanism, whether it be from medical or whether it be from the office complex to bring in kind of a steady, consistent flow of traffic into the property rather than trying to compete for a variety of visits that are dispersed out all over the place. I think medical is going to be, you know, I think we've seen this shift, you know, over the probably the past 20 years, maybe even 30 years of went from having the kind of the, the local doctors, you know, every town had kind of their local doctor, like local family physician, right, to being consolidated into larger medical practices or larger hospitals. Well, they kind of pulled out of the community and now they you don't see as many people going for kind of more routine maintenance care. And I think that's why you've seen the pop-up of the walk-in clinics around Bridgewater. There's been a ton of pop-ups of different hospital offerings of walk-in clinics, you know, diagnostic clinics, things like that, where you don't have to necessarily go to the hospital itself or go to the, the main doctor's office. You know, they're coming out to the community and trying to interact with the community more frequently to raise that level of, of care. The shopping centers are a great place to do that. So it, it's definitely something that I think is going to continue to be looked at and grow just to make sure that they continue to fan out and make sure that everybody's getting the level of care, especially on the on the routine treatments and things like that to help improve just healthcare overall. We're nearing the end of the interview. And so I wanted to just take a little bit of time to talk about Bridgewater Commons itself and just see, is there anything that you'd like to share about what you're really proud of right now, ways that you've responded to the pandemic that you think are unique? And what would you like to share about that? I would say that the, the unique things that we've done here are we've kind of leaned into investing some money 
in marketing and community events and you know kind of offering reconnecting with the community through this process we've worked with the the county to do kind of pop-up vaccination clinics and it's really gotten us back to being this the community hub being the the center of the community a little bit rather than just again just a place for transactions so i think that's the the thing that i'm the most proud of we've expanded our marketing programs we've expanded you know our community programs kind of redeveloped some of the relationships that we had 15 20 years ago and i'm really proud of that that we our ownership our management company has really promoted that and offered the opportunity to reconnect and lean back into that whereas you know i would say probably the the initial reaction is oh we need to cut costs or we need to withdraw a little bit. And uh, so that's probably the, the thing that I'm most proud of. We're still working on what our future plans hold. We have some new leases that aren't quite signed yet, but uh, we expect those to be signed in the next 30 to 60 days. And um, we're really seeing the opportunity to really redirect things. And uh, we're seeing some excitement of retailers who want to take advantage of this time. They think that the good times are ahead. And uh we're excited to hear their stories in the process. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell, and you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey. Connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at StoryDot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. I'd like to go a little bit into who you are as well. Let people get to know <laughs> who you. I am. <laughs> yeah, what would yeah. you like to know? I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm always fascinated by the educational route that people follow to get to where they're at, and I was wondering if you could share a little bit about maybe formational experiences in your education that led you to where you're at. You can go all the way back to grade school, like maybe you had an experience in a mall or something, but up to today, like what what was your path? I don't know that I have an overly eventful story in that. I went to the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. And uh, as part of the University of Wisconsin University system, it's, you know, the main campus is in Madison, obviously, and, and then there's a number of satellite universities part of that system. I graduated with a business administration with a finance emphasis, and I graduated in 92 at the time of a recession, and I actually got into retail management, if you will, or retail property management by answering a blind newspaper ad. I had no idea what I was answering, and I went for the interview, and I'm like, oh, this sounds interesting, and um, I got a job offer, and uh, so and everything's kind of evolved from there. I I had some really good experiences early on. The company that I started working for at the time was the Richard E. Jacobs Group. They were based out of of Cleveland, Ohio. And the idea of training kind of managers, you know, property managers and things like that was I basically spent about a year to a year and a half in all kinds of locations. Like, you know, I started out in a downtown center 
it was a regional mall, but it was connected to a kind of a, a thriving, you know, downtown Main Street, pedestrian street. I went to suburbs. I went to St. Louis. I, I was kind of all over the place. And it really gave me, you know, kind of different experience, seeing different things in different states and communities. And, you know, that's one of the things, kind of what I said in the, the intro, it's one of the things that you get into property management or you can think that your day, you have an idea what's going to happen today. You have no idea. You have no idea what's going to come up in a particular day or the, which direction a discussion is going to take you. So that's really where it's I've stayed very interested in it. I've had the opportunity to work with some really great people. I worked out in Las Vegas for seven years on the Strip for four of those years, managing a property out there. So it's just the variety of experiences and the variety of different things that, that kind of come about and really intrigue me. That's kind of my educational background and kind of how I got here. I, I do like looking at talking with you today and talking with other people and things in the industry. Whenever you get bogged down into a particular detail, sometimes you miss the trends. Like you were talking about, you asked early on about trends and stuff like that. It's it's really, you got to kind of look at things that are happening and then try to plug them into a broader context, larger context. If you don't do that, you're going to miss something because retail, but it just commercial real estate in general is so diverse and so large that you're going to, you're going to miss a nuance somewhere if you don't try to plug that into a little bit higher context and see, see how that applies and see how that may, what pieces of that may work for your property or work for your company. That's been a really intriguing part of the growth, particularly in the last 10 years or so. That's been a huge part of our thought process and focus. How do you build knowledge in an industry that moves? I would say that it's almost a lagging industry, right? Like there's there's movements and shifts in the world, and then it takes time to respond. So how do you build experience inside of an industry like that? Oh, well, that's a good question. Some of it is just kind of staying, always trying to think ahead, but at the same time, just staying focused on executing what's what's in front of you at the moment to the best that you possibly can. And then... I look at it a little bit as talking about the kind of the experiential side of the retail. You got to start with the core, right? You got to have a good product or a good location or a good offering or a good design. And then you can add little things onto it. You can always add little things that don't require a lot of time, like you were saying. You know, obviously the redesigning a truck dock or building a building or expanding a building is always a longer and larger process. But if you kind of focus on executing the core element and those elements don't really change a lot right i mean if you think about it no matter what platform we're talking about how people are selling merchandise or where people are going to buy the merchandise at the end of the day you still have to have good merchandise you still have to have a good product you have to have a relevant product a relevant offering and then everything else builds on top of that the customer service the experiences and those things are quicker and easier to change, but you got to look at them and how they interact with the core element, the core product itself. That's a, a perfect place to wrap up. Thank you so much, Troy. It's been a pleasure working with you. Again, this is Troy Fisher from Bridgewater Commons, and I'm Rob Sanchez, and thank you all for listening. Good night, y'all. This has been Retail Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. 
Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.